As Christians, we have been given by the Savior, Jesus the Christ, the most important goal of all, and that is to seek the kingdom. For the whole purpose of God is indeed to establish his kingdom, carrying out his directives for all eternity. I'm only going to go through two scriptures right now to show where God gave us that command. Then if I can, I would like to turn it around a little and view it from an angle that maybe we don't always look at it. The first scripture we will turn to, we know what it is. Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom. All important. Seek first the kingdom. Now, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. This is the section where we call counting the cost. But I'm only going to look at two particular verses. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and in addition, his own life also cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus didn't mean literally hate. It's a love less by comparison. It means put him first or seek the kingdom first. So I could play around with that and say, if anyone wants to seek the kingdom, he must put aside father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and his own life or he will not seek the kingdom. He will not get it. Now, look toward the end of that chapter. There's 33. In the same way also, each one of you who does not forsake all that he possesses cannot be his disciple. And he is going to be the king of the kingdom. He is going to be the door by which we get to the Father. Which means, unless we put him first, we don't get the kingdom. But I would like now to turn it around if I could. When Jesus asked us to give up everything, in reality, he's asking us to give up nothing that he and the Father have not originally done so. They've already done it. Now, what did they do? How did they seek the kingdom first? That's what I would like to focus on, if you'll bear with me. We're going back to the beginning. And I do mean the beginning, where there existed two glorious beings. And that was just about all. Turn with me, if you will, to John, the first chapter. The Gospel of John. Here's the real beginning. We have God and we have the Logos. So let us read John 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. We were in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. 
And not even one thing that was created came into being without him. So he did it all. And then these two beings, two of them, came up with the most audacious plan you could possibly imagine. And it was a big one. When God dreams, oh, he dreams big. His goals are big. They wanted as a goal to create a vast universe with hundreds of billions of stars, galaxies, planets. And then create a divine family, their own family, family of equals to carry out the directives of Father and Son, God and the Logos. Now that was going to take a heap of doing. That was going to take a lot of planning. How do you do that? Well, they were going to create everything, get a planet, get it all lined up, make sure it could support life. And as they were going through their plan, whether at the very beginning, toward the end of it, middle of it, who knows? The thought occurred to them that these humanoids, because that's what they're going to be, you and me and all of us, we were going to be given free moral agency because God did not want automatons or robots. He could make them by the gazillion. Of what use were they to him? He wanted beings who could carry out his instructions, see that the difficulty was, know what needed to be done, and then would go about doing it to further the interests of the kingdom. But in so doing, that could present a problem. Because what if they turned on God? What if they disobeyed him? What if they did not live up to his standards? So they had to come up with a contingency operation. Now there was always only one plan. Plan A. There was no plan B or C. But they had to come up with a contingency operation in case these human beings, what shall we say, fell off the wagon? And they did. And most likely, God and Father, God and the Son knew they would do it. God is a God of law and order. If you violate his law, that is considered sin. We know that. First John 3, 4. We will turn to it. We're all familiar with it. For time's sake. First John 3, 4. Sin was lawlessness. The violation of his law. The transgression of the law. And the result of that, the Apostle Paul explained in Romans 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. See, sin is a crime. It is a felony. It has to be taken care of. A penalty must be paid. And that penalty was death. Well, how are they going to do this? They realized one of them would have to come down in the form of a human being, shed his blood, which would be worth more than all the lives and all the sin of all the people for all time. He had to do it, or else no king. Talk about counting the cost. Talk about seeking the kingdom. That's what they would have to do. 
And so they went about doing it. The sun did come down. Now, when or how long was this plan in, in the operational state? The planning state as well. Let's look at the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. And we'll see in verse 7 and verse 8. Especially verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth or worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. How long has that been? According to scientists and their computations and calculations in measuring, they've come up with a figure close to 13.8242 billion years for the emergence of the universe and about four, four and a half billion for the moon. How accurate they are, who knows for sure, but a long time. They had that in mind back then. Now, let's look at another scripture. Let's look at Titus. Paul's epistle, or letter, I should say, to Titus. Titus, chapter 1 and verse 2, where Paul says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the ages of time. Well, that's before the universe was even created. Because there is no time without heavenly bodies. You know, the moon revolves around the earth. A day, the earth revolves around the sun a year. This was before then. That's how far back they were planning this. You know, you want to talk about long-range planning. That's it. Now, let's look to another scripture, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1 and verse 4, according as he has personally chosen us for himself before the foundation of the world. Again, this was a long time in planning. And finally on that, we're going to 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll have something very similar to that. First Peter, chapter 1, and we'll pick it up in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things, by silver or gold, from your futile way of living. Now, dropping down to 20, talking about Jesus, who truly was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Again, long time plan. Now, we need to realize that the death of Jesus was a ransom. That's right, a ransom. And there are two aspects to the ransom. First of all, let's go to Matthew 20. And we'll find this spoken twice. Recorded twice. First one in Matthew and one in Mark. We'll read the one in Matthew knowing that the one in Mark is actually the same. So let's look. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Just as the Son of Man would not come to be served, he didn't come to be waited upon. He came to serve. He was going to give his life. Otherwise, no kingdom. They were faced with that. They knew that from the very beginning. 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now you can find the same thing in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Greek word here is lutron, and it does mean what well, it's taken from a Hebrew word, koper. Now let's look at that word in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Now this word has the root letters of K and P and R. If it has a dagesh or a dot, you know, dot your eyes, cross your T's. If it's got a dot in those letters, it's hard. Compare. Kippur, if not, it's soft. Kaffir, kaffir. Can you see Kippur? Yom HaKippari? Yes. It's atonement. It's covering. So the ransom that God paid through the blood of his son did two things. One, it paid for the sin. And two, it covered that sin so God doesn't have to see it. We will turn to it, but you can go to Genesis 6 and verse 14, where God is instructing Noah about building the ark. And he says to cover it with pitch or to pitch it with pitch. <laughs> What's that Hebrew word? Kofair, to cover it. And that's what happened. Jesus came to die as a ransom. Now, he didn't really want to die. But he had to. Father and son knew they had to do it. If they wanted the king. Do we want the king as much as they wanted? Let's see. Luke 22. In verse 42. Luke 22, 42. This is after the supper. And they were going out. And they were about to be arrested. Or Jesus was about to be arrested by the Romans. And look what he says in verse 42. Jesus saying, Father, if you are willing to take away this cup from me, then he stops immediately. See, he didn't really want to die as a human. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because the will of the Father was indeed to have him be as a sacrifice. So the two of them could have their kingdom. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, where Jesus is quoted from the Psalms. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Then said I, Lord, I come, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, to do your will. He came to die, to do the will of the Father. Look at John chapter 12 and verse 27. And we see Jesus as a human, knowing the time is short. Look at verse 27, where he said, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Look, but for this very purpose I have come. He knew he came to die as a human he knew what an excruciating, painful experience that was going to be. But he had to do it. 
for us. He did good. No kingdom. Did they seek the kingdom? Oh, they did. Did they sacrifice just about everything? Yes, they did. Look at Matthew 23 now. And we will pick it up in verse 53. This is where one of his disciples cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And then Jesus said, verse 53, Don't you realize that I have the power to call upon the Father at this time? And he will furnish with me with more than 12 legions of angels. It's a lot of angels. These being more literal, remember in those days a legion was 5,000. Each Roman legion consisted of 5,000 troops. Now, I was never one very well-rested high man. But even I could figure this out. Let's see. 12 angels, 5,000 each. That's 60,000 angels. That's a lot of angel power. But look what Jesus said in verse 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? It was ordained to be. So Jesus never asked for those angels. Bob never gave, never said, because both were focused on the kingdom. Must seek the kingdom. Michael probably was ready. No, Michael, Michael, who was like God? That's what his name means. In Revelation 13, 7, 8, we could read, and there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels warred against the dragon and his angels. Michael was the warring angel. He was ready to go. The father never gave the nod. Never gave permission. Why? We must seek the kingdom. And then let's not forget John 3, 16. God so loved the world. He so loved these people. And look, Jesus, the one who should let there be light, the one who created this whole universe as the Logos, the Word. Look what he said. The disciples and us in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This is, as we say, enough to knock your socks off. This is enough to make you just shake your head in love and in comparison. Verse 26. Here Jesus was speaking to his disciples. His mother and brethren came out to talk with him. And how did Jesus respond? He answered and said to him, Who is my mother? And who are my brother? Stretching out his hand to his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever will do the will of my father who is in heaven, that one is my brother, sister, and mother. Equal. He is the creator. He's the one who in Genesis 2 verse 7 came down form, fashion, molded the man, breathed into his nostrils, and that person became a living soul, a being. And yet that awesome God says, you are my eagles. I love you. You're my brethren. That's the goal, the divine family. Now let's take a look at what the father thought. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. I like Matthew chapter 13. I call it the parabolic chapter because it has so many parables in it. What after another? Well, let's go to Matthew 13. And let's go to verses 45 and 46. 
We'll start out with point of four. And when the kingdom of heaven is compared to a treasure hidden in field, which when a man finds, he conceals, and for the joy of finding it, goes and shelves everything that he has and buys that field. And therefore, five, again, the kingdom is like compared to a merchant seeking beautiful pearl, who after finding one very precious pearl, went and sold everything to buy it. Who is the man? That's the father. God the father is being pictured as the man who saw the treasure in the field. And there's the merchant seeking pearl. And who are the, who constitutes, or what constitutes the pearl, the treasure? We do. God thinks of us as treasure. He wants us. He will have us. And let's read again what it said in verse 46. He went and sold everything that he had. This is but a parable, but in reality, the father's soul gave away everything he had, the most prized asset he had, the most beloved individual personage he ever knew, the son, for us. He gave everything for the kingdom, and the son gave his life for the kingdom. When they say, when Jesus said, you must give up father, sister, mother, brother, even your own life. Again, he's asking us to do nothing that he has not already done. It's almost mind-boggling to think that, but it's true. Jesus was the ransom. And their ransom was used to buy us so we can be part of that family. Let's look at another scripture, Malachi. Malachi 3 in verse 20. Malachi 3, that is the last of the prophets. Last of the prophets listed, anyway. And just before the book of Psalms. Matthew chapter 3. And verse 17, and this is what God said. And room shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the room that I will make up my own special jewel. That's us. We are those jewel. He treasures us. Can we understand that? Sometimes I have a hard time. He treasures us. Do we treasure him as much as he treasures us? <laughs> and that's a lot. Yes. And he wants us. And he will have us. And he sacrificed everything. Look at how he is pictured as telling us something. Jesus mentioned it. Luke chapter 12. He's describing the Father. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Here is Jesus talking to his disciples. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father delights in giving you the kingdom. 
He delights in giving it to us. He wants to give it to us. He takes great joy and pleasure in thinking, dreaming of the day when we will all be together. One glorious family. Now let's look at something that every time I think about it, it all blows my mind. It's hard to grasp. John chapter 17. Where sorry. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who shall believe in me through their word. Ever feel downtrodden? Ever wonder, am I good enough? Does the Father, is he really going to help me? Am I really going to be able to overcome? Will he really give me enough of his spirit? Jesus already prayed for us. He prayed on our behalf. And if there's anyone the Father listens to and hears intently, it is the Son. And every time we pray, Father hearkens back to the prayer of a son. And it wouldn't do any harm for us to mention that to the Father. As your son promised, please. And on we go with our prayer. But in his verse 21, yet as we say, takes the cake. So let's read it and drink in. Verse 21. He is praying that they, meaning the disciples, May I be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Now that can make sense. All of us together is one, the Father and the Son, together in one. But then, look what he said. That there also may be wrapped in us. There's the family. All equal. No, not in authority. The Father will always be the grand patriarch of the clan. And the Christ, the risen Christ, will always be the chief executive, but in composition, in essence, in having glorious power to carry out whatever directives the Father and the Christ want us to do, will have it. Yes, what? Paul in essence said the same thing. Let's look at the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll have it in verse 17. Now, read this carefully. Now, if we are children, we are also heir, truly heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, I, I deal in taxes and inheritances because we have to figure out the tax ramifications of inheritance and so forth. But a joint heir, I know what that is. Equal. And when Paul said we're joint heirs with Christ, it means whatever he inherits, we inherit. Glorious spirit body and one with the Father. Equal in substance. Equal in goal. Equal purpose. Reminds us, which reminds me, of that old swashbuckling novel by Alexander Dumas, The Three Musketeers. You know, I for run. 
and one for all. That is what the family of God is going to be like. One for all and all for one. One equalized family. So, in concluding, since they, father and son, sought the kingdom with all their might, counted the cost and paid the price, therefore, we must go and do likewise.